0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKiddush. And we're joined today by my colleague and good friend, Rabbi Shmuel Skist from Newark, I wouldn't call it Iraq Yiddish, but definitely a city that both of us have spent a lot of time on trying to bring Kedusha and understanding to that city. Uh, welcome, Hevra. We're still, in a way, um, in, in the wake of, of the scandal that has rocked uh, the Orthodox Jewish world, the Haredi Jewish world. Uh, we have dealt with that, the scandal of of Chaim Walder, the ex- expose of Chaim Walder, the suicide of Chaim. And I think that in, in, in wake of that, we have heard pronouncements, shurim, uh, open letters about what needs to change. Um, and two of the most prominent uh, spokesmen, one here in the United States, uh, Ravran Eisman from Pesake and Rav Moshe Meiselman and Eric Sestrol, have both uh, issued uh One I think was a of uh, a, 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 a written statement, and one was a a shear that was uh, promoted and was sent to, to many many outlets uh about what clauosterol needs to do clauosterol does can't hide there needs to be changes, and they need to be instituted immediately and accepted throughout the Haredi world and for sure uh, the world beyond uh, in terms of Qal Yisrael. So I'll start with Rabbi Eisman's statement uh, that he wrote and I'm just going to key in on the ones that are about from this point on. Um, never, one of his points, never send the child to a therapist unless you have access to the therapy room. That's the parent. Be it a two-way mirror, or the door being ajar. Then that is his uh, advice that he feels needs to be imposed on all situations of sending children to therapy. The other advice that he gives has to do with outside of therapy. Never let your child go into a car with anyone alone. Never allow your daughter or son to be picked up by the family he she is babysitting for in other words the parent of the babysitter needs to do that which he says he has a subcategory either both parents have to come i assume he means the parents of the baby child that's being babysitted for they have to come husband and wife have to come to pick up the babysitter whoever it is boy or girl or the parents of the babysitting girl need to drive them. Never let your daughter, in parentheses, or your son, go into the front seat with a male or female. Next, um, make sure the laws of Yichud are always followed very stringently. Next, if your child is invited over for a sleepover, Find out if there are older children or other relatives in the house before you allow your child to go. Now, Rabbi Eisman doesn't elaborate here. Um, I The implication, I think, is that before you allow your child to go and then, I guess, do research on who those other kids are, or if they aren't there, don't send them. I, I don't understand. He also talks about telling children, uh, if they are touched, that they did nothing wrong and they should never feel ashamed to tell you. Uh, his last point uh, is to Davin and Davin more for our children's safety. I left out a couple of things, but that is really the gist. Let's start with Rabbi Eisman's uh, points. Um, Rabbi Skist, you're our guest. Let's be poseach. Uh, beckoned, uh, uh the Irea <laughs>
1: <laughs> Okay. Well, I, so first of all, I, I want to start by saying that I um, I think it was wonderful that Rabbi Eisman spoke out uh, clearly and forcefully against Chaim Walder r- immediately without uh, having to uh, think about it. And um, uh, I think that the that in itself was extremely important and extremely valuable for the firm community to see that they our Rabbanim who are uh, not living in the dark ages and who recognize that there's a, this is a real clear and present danger and needs to be dealt with publicly and swiftly and, and uh, I think that was great and I kudos to him. Having said that, I think uh, without, before even addressing the specifics of his points is I'm left wondering, I'm not an expert in uh, abuse and, in, uh, abused, uh, child abuse at all. And I, I just have no idea, are these arbitrary? These, To me, these sound like arbitrary um, rules that are based on anecdotal things that he may be familiar with that happened in his community. Is there any indication that uh, there's a high percentage of babysitters that get abused in the car on the way to or from the babysitting by a only one parent driving? Is there any indication that uh, yeah you know, yes it's is that an area or a possibility for sure but there's also a possibility of getting abused in an elevator um going up to the third floor i mean i you know i just i don't know where this is coming from i don't know if there's any research behind it i don't think there is he doesn't cite any and um it seems to me a little bit arbitrary i also wonder about when he more specifically when he talks about uh not letting a child see a therapist alone um, you know, I, 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 I I've i met in, in my, you know, I've been, I've been seeing clients for, uh, uh, you know, over a little bit over three years now. And as a, as a Rebbe have dealt with many, many families, you know, unfortunately, I think that there are some parents who shouldn't be uh, left alone with their own children. Uh, and that might be even more prevalent than, than therapists. Is there really a serious problem with therapists being alone with children? like. That, to me, that sounds like a dangerous thing to say if it's not backed up by research. Um, and I, I highly doubt that that is actually the case. That the, So that's my initial thoughts.
0: It's, it's, it's somewhat, before we get Sam involved here, it is somewhat counterintuitive. I mean, if part of the reason why, since you're correct, sometimes the reason the child is seeing the therapist is due to things the parent has done whether it's aggressiveness, whether it's uh, ignoring, whether it's showing too much affection, whatever it is the parent has done, would the child be able to open up? Because the child's going to figure out that the door's open, his parents are still here. Again, they've seen enough TV shows to know about two-way mirrors, right? (laughs) They're not going to somehow not realize, unless they're of a very young age, but they're probably going to figure out that, Right. And, and and can we tr- and if it's supposed to be a secret that the parents are watching behind, how how do you think the parents are going to be able to keep it from the kid that they know what was happening there behind the closed doors? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I think if we were going to use 2A mirrors, we'd probably get a bit more mileage out of using them on on how parents discipline their kids and, and talk to their kids than on how therapists uh, interact with their uh child clients
0: let's give ron eisman the benefit of the doubt though that it isn't just based on some sort of you know idea that he has that he did he talked it over with a group of people before he wrote it um that doesn't necessarily mean it's correct um uh, sam w- what do you have to say about this advice for therapists well why don't you comment on uh, on the total picture but specifically about therapy okay
2: not comment but a torrent of comments okay So first of all, I can assure you that this rabbi did not consult anybody who has any command of the data, period. These are, as Rabbi Skate suggested, these are anecdotal, maybe based on um, uh, reports he had had within his own community or from his own congregants, but he's not data-based. Okay, so let's just start with that. Um, My second comment, um, the idea of not giving total privacy to a therapist and his client is a major dampener in any kind of um, uh, relationship that you can have that's therapeutic. At the same time, there are a number of troublemaking goons within the professional community. So basically, I would say that any therapist these days um, will not have any malpractice coverage, which means he will not be able to practice, he or she will not be able to practice unless they have um, some way filming, open doors with a nurse or a secretary sitting out there, something out there. So unfortunately, the baby has already been thrown out with the bathwater because of perhaps um, the heightened libido that goes on these days, perhaps the fact that the professional community has become aware of how many transgressors there are, or perhaps because just that the world is so litigation-minded that if I wouldn't do it. I would have been closed down the first time a client has a negative transference towards me. They all know all you have to do these days with a um, therapist or a professor, for that matter. I've seen many cases at the university where if a student wants to start some trouble, they first threaten you that they're going to come up with some kind of a scenario. And many of them do come up with it just as a way of getting their way with the professionals. So I would say that's an old issue the, um, the um, shall we say, the idea is that the Bikoret or the supervision be by dad or mom because often they are Mr. Scrooge to begin with. And if you say, okay, anything you say will be reported to your mom or dad, you're not going to get very far. It's almost like going to your Mashkiach. What do you get out of going to Mashkiach? He's going to tell the Rashiva or call your mother or call your older brother. So it, it, it's 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 a sham. So, um Obviously, then this rabbi did not consult the professionals when he made up this this list. That maybe he consulted with some professional rabbis. I'll give him that, but not with any professionals. What he's talking about. So that, that's my first. Uh, Sam, what response. I wanted to clarify with you: yeah.
0: are, are you saying that it's become common practice now that every therapy session, just like the police have body cams, that every therapy session now needs to be video needs to be needs to be a video that the therapist puts on so there can be a record of what the conversation was
2: okay when you say need to be i'm saying in terms of self-preservation i don't think that anybody would last two months before they get you know sued no i think that no decent malpractice policy is ever given without saying look my my son okay is a major practitioner and he was once just accused that um oh, what is it that he was doing um, uh, paperwork or he was talking to people during a session and not taking things seriously. And all he did was send in the video. Here's the video, check it out. It, was obviously, you know, it went to, a, to, a, to, a, to a, some kind of overseeing agency and it was dismissed. They say, here's the video session, so-and-so, et cetera, et cetera. Or that um, you know, he sent me emails of some sort. Again, the therapist sends a record of emails. So you have to have it. Otherwise, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but I'm saying in terms of self-preservation, that doesn't exist anymore. I never had meetings with students with a closed door in my office, period. That meant that a lot of stuff could not be discussed. They didn't feel comfortable, but that's that's the lumps. That's what we have for living in the litigation age society or on the other side, living in an area, in, in, a, in a era where people are either more want to act out or there's enough surveillance that we know of people acting out. I don't know if acting out is has increased, but that's, that's the, so that's the truth.
0: So So do you believe, do you, do you believe therefore that the effectiveness of your therapy has been compromised?
2: I think, I think it's halfway in hell. Hmm. Very compromised. And I was, when you, and look, and I tell people you should know that I'm recording you. You should also know that if I find out that you're about to do something that's, harmful to somebody else or harmful to yourself, I will report it right away, okay? What does that do? I mean, that's horrible. That's horrible for the therapeutic process of the person, but we have determined that at least society has pushed some buttons here and said, this is the way you conduct yourself or you're out of this business. Go, go. I don't know, fix plumbing. I don't know.
0: Okay, so one of the things that you pointed out was that, and normal therapy uh, that's done, and, and Rabbi's case, you can you can uh, talk to this as well. There is a supervisor that every single uh, case you're involved in, you you are expected to bring this up to a supervisor uh, uh, that's on charge of you or a colleague that you can talk to this about. So uh, that was obviously not uh, present in people in the Haredi world that have these Haredi therapist, or I'm not sure, but clearly not in his case. Uh, talk a little bit about that. How that could also be, if not a, a panacea, but that could be an extremely helpful thing if that would be adopted. So okay, let's so, let's talk to you first, Sam, and then Rabbi Skaggs.
2: Sure. Okay. So I want to make two points. First, there's the, an the idea of controlling yourself, and the idea of make of society making sure that you don't make any trouble. So the whole idea that me. Let's assume that this guy... I don't want to talk about this world You do it. I don't know him. I probably wouldn't have wanted to know him. But let's talk about a therapist somewhere. Let's assume that the therapist is someone who has self-respect and is really committed to helping his clients, right? Um, one of the things you learn in training as a therapist, which is often quite disturbing to the therapist in training, is that, hey, you have the capacity to be a bum. And you say, me? God forbid, I'm totally devoted to people, and we say, yes, we know you're devoted, we know you think you're devoted, and you probably are, but part of you could be also looking to exploit people, that it's, and then you say, this is the importance of supervision, okay, so I remember going through supervision myself, I thought, of course, I'm, you know, the most, uh, the person most uh, inured to anything negative happening, and I remember that, you know, My supervisor, he would assist on recording things, and I'd go there, and he'd tear me apart, okay? Like, um, you know, the client says something, and I say, you know what, whatever you wish. He says, what tone is that? What are you trying to say? I'm trying to put the person down. I'm trying to say, since you're not cooperating with me, do what you want to, and go full and break your head. And in fact, I was saying that at some level, I was not aware. It was shocking. And then I found out, yes, I have to watch myself, so to speak. Okay, so that itself, just in terms of being cognizant of yourself, assuming you have the self-respect of not wanting to do any harm, that itself will help you. Second of all, what it teaches anybody responsible is that there's a very fine line between me thinking I'm doing the right thing and not doing it, which means get yourself a damn supervisor, okay? Most, I would say anybody responsible in the field that I know has a supervisor. Some have paid supervisors. I don't, because I'm cheap, or I know what I'm, I think I know what I'm doing. I have peer supervision, so I will go over, I won't say exactly, okay, so the person came in, and here's what he was wearing, and he's right, no. I'll say, okay, here were the issues that come up, and, and I said, and I decided I would try this, and my supervisor would say, um, why did you decide to try that? That doesn't sound like the best thing to do, and they'll say, okay, Sam, watch yourself, you know, there's something wrong over here, and of course, Being that I am somebody who's stubborn, say, no, it's not so. But five minutes later, I say, hey, you know, I'm listening to you. I'm not so convinced, but I'm listening to you because you're a normal person and you probably have better judgment than me, even though I'm much smarter than you, but you're independent and you understand what's going on. So, yes, that's the first step. The second step is that the supervision actually helps so that unless you're just a blasted liar, when you review it, the guy will say, hey, you got to cut this out right away. In fact, if they're responsible, they would say, Hey, I'm going to report you, my best friend, because you are off the wall. You don't do such things. This is unheard of. Okay. So, from both respects, that's there. Somebody like, let's say, Walder Dude, let's say he was really sincere and just as Yates or Hurl got the, the best of him. It wouldn't have happened had he been in supervision. Why wasn't he in supervision? Because he never learned it when he reviewed the Chaya Adam, which is probably his syllabus. Right had he been in a course of some sort, they would have said
0: hey're uh, you're, you're you're nodding in ascension you have been supervised recently What can you add here to us?
1: I can add that uh as i i have entered and shifted toward you know and included now this new field in my in my repertoire of, of trying to uh i guess trying to help people and trying to achieve my own potential i am uh, continually shocked when I think back to the fact that as a 25 year old, I was thrown into a classroom and uh, given the shlita to be able to uh, try to be uh, my students and give them advice and talk to them. And I continued doing that for the next 25 years without any concept of supervision, without any concept of self-reflection, other than what I naturally happened to do on my own um, and it's it's still shocking to me when I think about it that we have an entire Khinuch system that encourages um, a sort of therapist-like relationship with some with your Rebbe right you're supposed to go to your Rebbe to talk to him about your your your, your stuff and your 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 travails and your difficulties in life and you have no way of there is no Whatsoever, another that's why to me it's sort of funny. You want to put on the list of things of dangers, uh, you want to list therapists on the list of dangers. W- why stop there? What about Rabbi and rabani no, and, and let's just make
2: it more generic. What about teachers? Teachers,
1: yes, and teachers, yeah, yes. piano, piano teachers, right? Okay, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I don't think. And so to, to me, I have to say that I agree with, with, with Sam completely, with Dr. Judy, like supervision has been, I think I learned, I learn. I continue to learn more from supervision. I have a peer supervision group that I do, that I have for couples work. I have learned more from these other peers than I ever learned in any book. Because at the i I talk about a case of mine and what I'm doing, and they yeah, they're all very friendly, but they absolutely rip me apart every time and um and, and you learn from it and and um yeah, absolutely I, I think uh, the yeah you know yeah.
0: I think I have a little bit of an answer as someone who uh, worked in the trenches of of schools and understands where you were coming from the, a teacher is, uh, first of all, most of the schools, whether they're high school or, or, or elementary school, the principals want decorum, quiet, right? They want to make sure the classroom is managed properly. That's all really they're interested in. But there's another aspect there, which I think is the fear factor. You realize that you know, if things are a little bit awry, you could lose your job. And I think because of that, teachers like yourself and me would, would, would be would think five times before we're going to discuss our what we did with a student with a supervisor, because what we're worried about is losing our job right so therefore, in a way we sort of feel that we can manage it ourselves. I think what Sam and you were talking about the new world, the world of the therapist, yeah, you might get browbeaten by your supervisor, but they're not going to throw you out, and therefore you feel a sense of security that you can open up to what you did, and that you don't have to be defensive. I mean, Sam and talked... Com-
2: and confidentiality, I may add. Uh, that's important, too.
0: Right. So so even though it's true, you might have been taken to the woodshed, so to speak, by your supervisor. You shouldn't do this the next time, but you're still going to have a chance to keep on doing it, whereas, whereas I think a lot of the teachers um, are, are, are scared. They're scared of the administrators, and therefore, in many ways, they don't open up to what they've the advice they've been giving or things they've been saying because they're 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 afraid i think in, in in a in a collegial situation where we're all dedicated to the betterment of the students and and we we show we have trust in you because we know you have potential and you've trained criticism is possible to take because you realize that you can grow but when you believe the criticism is going to cut your knees off and you won't be able to pay your mortgage next month, then it's going to be much harder. You become a lot more defensive and secretive about it. That's just uh, If, if so- I can
2: put an anecdotal chink into that, I remember supervision is needed for anybody who is in a power situation over another person, whether it be it age, expertise, religious mantle, Parent, any of that. You need supervision as a parent. I don't know how many people get it. I think you should have a license as a parent. But before that, definitely supervision. I mean, would I give my child to my next door neighbor to raise him? And would he give them to me? Which means we both shouldn't give them to each other. So why are we raising? Look, okay, that's that's another topic for itself. I don't want to get there. I just want to just also highlight a couple of other points there in terms of arbitrariness with the rabbi you mentioned before in terms of his guidelines. Okay, like uh, you can't go in a car with anyone. Okay, the rabbi mentioned what about an elevator? What about a truck? And also, um, uh, you can't have a... Um, I think in some cases they limited it. In some cases, he seemed to understand that the danger is even within the same-sex situation. In some cases, he said that's only cross-sex. And I would just add, in terms of pathology, if we're if we're gonna leave some room for error in favor of having a semblance of a a, a non-totalitarian society, I would say that there is less danger in the women of power abusing. Girls, younger girls, than there is in terms of men and power abusing younger girls, or men and power abusing younger boys. But then again, I can go crazy and become a garakacet. What does it mean to become a garakhacet? To have a ban that ansymphora, you may not carry your child on your shoulders, your boy on your shoulders, if he's three years old or older. Okay? So I can do that and after I do that I might as well become a Mooney. I I don't know we can go totally off the deep end there's no question at some point that there is a balance here now you might say it's almost like the balance in covid how many people are we willing to sacrifice here but I understand that's a good that's a good rejoinder but there gets to be a point where you're just totally suffocated by the dangers around you and I don't have an answer to that it probably depends if i've gotten burnt or not <laughs>
0: So I, I think, uh, Rabbi, about this—that this creates an incredible uh, atmosphere of, of mistrust uh, between neighbors, between family, between f- different families on the block. Uh, can you t- 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 respond to that, Rabbi Skay, specifically what, what, about you know these uh, admonitions of, of Rabbi Eisman towards that?
1: Yeah, it, it feels again. As I said, and I, I want to reiterate. I, I'm I'm happy that he that he put his statement out. I'm not uh, I'm not trying to pick it apart, but it does feel a little bit scary. Do we really need to? Do, is that where the world has gotten to the point where we can't trust anybody and we have to constantly be looking over our shoulders? I I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Maybe I just grew up in a simpler time, but uh, it it seems to me that we lose something if we are, uh, if we're living only in fear. And um, yeah, so I I, I just wonder if it has to go to that to that extent.
0: I I would just throw in.
2: I I wanted to add one more aspect to put into the mix here. There's a mistake by the rabbis in um, assuming that they or the parent can be the educator here or the person who is on the lookout for abuse. It doesn't work like that. Like I heard when you summarizing what Rabbi Rabbi Eisman said, like um, you have to tell your child not to be guilty. You have to tell them if somebody touches you. You should not be saying that to your child. Uh, Whether you tell the child, you wouldn't know how to tell a child to feel guilty or not feel guilty. You're not a professional. You meaning you rabbi or you parent. Very a professional do it. If you want somebody to talk to them about being touched, not being touched, it should not be you. It also like gets the boundaries all crazy because it's not something that you see a parent is doing. Like, why don't you talk to the, the parent? Tell them, wait, wait, about Sam, my hold on. Life. If you the child,
0: wait one second, Sam. If the child has been touched and is acting strange and comes to you saying, you know, something weird happened when I went to- All Mr. the
2: school guidance counselor, don't start talking to them about- Wow. Because no. you ain't a psychologist and you don't know what you're doing. What you're doing might get them more Boy, guilty- that- it might make them feel that it's like telling you, oh, you're going to the dentist. Oh, it's not going to hurt. Whoever says that to a child should be disbarred as a parent. Okay? So when you talk to them about guilt, you know, it's going to be fine. It's not that bad. You're just going to grandma for the weekend. Come on, don't give me that. But second,
0: that's a very tough prescription. If a child comes to you and mentions that, how many parents are just going to say, nod their head and say, I have to make a call. I have to call. You, know a know, you can say,
2: oh, no, no, don't worry. It's fine. And then make the call and say, in fact, I'm going to call Miss Linda, and she'll talk to you tomorrow, because she knows much more how to talk to children about that than I do, because I am just a, a podiatrist.
0: Uh, uh, Rabbi Skates, what do you say about this? this? is,
1: I, You know,
0: so here's the thing.
1: Um, I, I would take it a slightly different direction. I think there's a need for training of parents in a number of areas, but this could be one of them, that if parents went through training and how to talk to their kids, that it would at least give them better a set of tools. I agree with Dr. Judy that, that, that obviously if a kid has been abused, the person that, that is, going to, is going to be able to help and really deal with it is going to be a professional. But uh, I, I don't see a reason why parents couldn't be trained in, in, how, to, um, in how to respond or how best to respond. Which would, would might might include something very similar to what, to what you just said dr. Judy but I think it could be a little bit more uh, but if they don't go through that training then obviously uh, then I then I agree so uh, I, I think that's in general I mean it's a beef of mine in general like I I, I agree with dr. Judy that parents become parents we you know we take uh, we take hu classes and college classes that that, that uh, teach us at least something about intimate relationships and we could talk about whether that's uh, enough or not? It's a separate subject. But as parents, there's zero. If you happen to have had a rebbe who, once in a while, mentioned it in the middle of a year and gave you an example. So, and, and if you happen to have had extremely healthy parents, maybe you've had good examples. But, uh, but um, you know, no parents are perfect. So we all go into parenthood uh, completely unprepared and uneducated for it. And uh, I think that there's a lot of room for. More to be done. Okay,
0: look I, look, I want to move to something else, but again, to me, it's it's to the to the other um, uh, response that I mentioned earlier from Rabbi Meiselman. I did not hear it, but I've heard synopses of it, uh, and one of the statements he made that he felt needed to change, in terms of how therapy should be conducted, was there it should all it should always be uh, the same sex therapist that uh, a a male therapist should not be seeing a female patient or client. Um, that is, I, I, and I assume it goes the other way as well, that a um, female therapist should not be seeing a male client, should only be therapists of the same sex. This is what Rabbi Meiselman uh, is, was promoting and feels needs to be adopted immediately. Um, let's give, uh, 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 Rabbi Skase, let's go you first and we'll have Sam uh, respond afterwards.
1: Okay, so the first thought that comes to my mind is, um, would he say the same thing about rabbis, that only male um, people who are asking Shilas should ask the male people, and uh, females should only ask females, and if that's the case, is he willing to give some sort of smicha to female rabbis, Um, and if he's not, I want to know why he is supplying a double, a, a standard, one standard to therapists, and another standard to rabbis um that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind because well, I, I think it's completely ridiculous you know somebody who is um likely to uh, to do something wrong uh, um is going to find a way to do that thing wrong and it's not only going to happen happen in the therapy room and this idea he goes into a whole thing that dr Twersky, Oliver shalom told him that the Relationship between the therapist and the client is so intimate that they know from man would ever really do such a thing, have such a relationship with a woman, uh, other than his wife, is uh, you know that that that's I, I don't know what he's talking about exactly I I I understand theoretically maybe uh, maybe Dr. Torsky felt that way about himself um, I, I I I don't I just doesn't it doesn't ring true to me. And of course, I do agree 100% that laws of Yichud should be followed.
2: What you said, first of all, you say, why not also rabbis? I think we, they should include all kinds of professionals. I mean, medical professionals, uh, driving teachers, come on, the, the sky's the limit. But you see, what's going on over here is that Rabbi Meiselman is limiting himself to the yitzharah that he presumes exists within all people at a certain level of abusing men abusing women who they have power over, okay? Now, this is really, I am not denying that, but I think the Yates of Her is much more bigger than that, and it goes much more beyond sexuality. So this really is a subset of something we call in the business countertransference, okay? And I'm going to define, I'm sorry, mini-lecture, one minute, okay? Transference means that often the relationships you have, let's talk just about the therapy situation, you as a client, The relationship you have towards your therapist and your feelings often are not related to the therapist, but are related to a lot of baggage that you bring into the situation, which means you're going to have a stilted view of the therapist. You're going to have a stilted relationship. You're going to have stilted behavior. And in fact, we therapists use that as a way of seeing just what's going on. Like why all of a sudden are you acting petulant to me or are you talking this way? There's nothing in the situation objectively, aha, and then we deduce that. Now, there's another demon, which is just as important, which is where supervision comes in, which is called countertransference, which means that if I am in a situation of power over someone, whether I be a dentist or a psychologist or a rabbi, there is a major Yetzir Hara to use this situation to try to address inadequacies in my soul that have accumulated to me during development. So which means that somehow I will be acting towards this person, not only for their own benefit, but also for my benefit. And that's what supervision says. Hey, what are you doing here? This is not your job. If you want to do this, go for therapy yourself. And we do, by the way. Okay, a lot of my income goes towards, I mean, used to go towards that. So (laughs) the point is, countertransference is a major demon Sexually speaking, um, relationally speaking, anything speaking when you have a power situation. So for the rabbi to single out males abusing female sexuality, he is right, but in a very specific subset. But the real solution is never be in a power relationship with anybody because you're going to use it for your own reasons. There is nobody who doesn't any relationship you're into, you also try to get your kicks in by resolving some old stuff and fixing it. It's called unfortunately it's a pathological, it's a pathological label of repetition compulsion, which we don't have to get to because you never solve those things. The only way you solve those is if you fork over the $500 an hour and get it fixed. Otherwise, can't sit and talk to them. So I would say that the rabbi is focusing on one particular issue based on his anecdotal experience, perhaps with his flock. He's well-meaning. I'm not accusing him of counter-transference. That's not my business right now. But okay, so he's getting. He's saying that's a focus, but the solution of limiting only that is only available if he doesn't look at the whole universe. If he looks at the whole universe, it's rabbi. says, Everything ends. You can't talk to anybody and do anything. You can't buy a falafel, impossible. Because hey, why am I saying it? Why am I getting it? Why do you decide which one to give me and which pizza to give me? It's the end of falafel, them. Who, who wants that? Okay, have but, it? It?
0: but it. one second. It, it, buy buying a falafel or talking to the plumber or talking to the contractor, although it is could be a somewhat of an intimate atmosphere, the the things that are being said are: I want to have hummus. I want to have a backsplash. You're not talking about your feelings towards yourself, your feelings towards your sexuality, your feelings towards your inadequacy. The things that you're saying are are very connected to the the vulnerability of who you are and many times connected to your desires. So the, the topics of conversation could lend itself more to the type of, well, let me encourage you, let me make you feel better. I I, I love you, I care for you. That's not going to happen right? in, in, in these other areas. I'm not saying abuse can't okay. happen.
2: Okay. okay, so I'll leave you alone with the plumber and the falafel stand. Let's just talk about all positions of teaching and power, especially within therapy, all the possible... Look, I was dramatizing, obviously, right? But the point is that it's not just a male female issue you can expand so the- so let me again I, I'm trying to get a definitive
0: answer from you do, do you agree that we should perhaps accept what rabbi Meiselman's saying and only send our uh our, 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 our daughters to women therapists and and, and even though you're right I the think
2: poss- you, I, yes, I think you will have less trouble, but you'll have trouble from those women therapists too you'll have less because there are many more men perps against young girls, then there are women perps against young girls. That's just statistical, not just because it's not reported. There are less perps like that. And there are even fewer perps of women in power over young boys.
0: So I guess the next logical step, Sam, is to maybe...
2: Let the rabbi do that. That's a great idea. Boys should only go to women therapists. That would be great. You'll reduce another 4% of the abuse.
1: Right, but he mentioned actually specifically that he has never, except for one exception, never sent any of his Talmidim to a female therapist.
2: Again, because he didn't see it in the Chai Adam. I shouldn't pick the Chai Adam. Okay, the Shalamesh. Whatever.
0: Yeah. That would be something to know, to know the Chuba Shalamesh. By the way, Shalamesh was one of the first, as I showed you, Sam, in a conversation a number of months ago, that he was one of the first people to actually deal halakhically, uh, openly with uh, teachers that were abusers. Um, yeah. So, just he, st-
2: he still doesn't come to uh, Albert Ellis. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah.
0: No. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, show me. Since you mentioned it, let's be masquerading with tape So, yeah. if anything, maybe what we could say, and again, I'm just. Running with the ball here, that maybe we should, di- you know, there was a period, I guess, about 10, 15, 20 years ago, that everybody was so happy that from men could become therapists. It was like Baruch Hashem, we've got a new thing that they don't have to be frustrated rabeim anymore, uh, trying to <laughs> try, trying to take care of wild elementary school students, and right, and they don't have to just be mashgichim or people sitting I there. Think
2: Waldo the- was also very excited about that. <laughs> but my
0: but, but my point is, is that from what we're talking now. It it could be that men should be discouraged in general from this field, since the, the, the um, mm-hmm. evidence t- statistically about women seems to indicate that they, they're involved in it much less. Maybe we, because Rabbi Skase, don't you agree with me? I, I'm not you, of course, but there has been like an explosion where you see throughout the religious world of these rabbis with the therapist shingle as well. Maybe that, that wasn't such a great thing. You know,
1: maybe, uh, maybe men should be discouraged from being authors. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm saying if Sam
0: Sam is correct, that we go with the, what what the numbers tell us that the, the incidences of, of abuse are, are much less with women then again, this should be something like you say, that that even yeshiva boys shouldn't have a problem going to them because the chances of you being abused by them are much less than going to a male therapist. No, no, wait.
2: wait. You can send girls to gay man therapists. How's that? (laughs)
0: Uh, You're not joking, are you?
2: I'm not joking at all. If you want to follow the trend of just numbers, there is much less abuse of younger girls by gay male therapists than by straight
1: male therapists,
2: right? So, I mean, you want to go with, with the yeah. statistics.
1: But I think the, I think the point is that this is not a statistical thing. This, what Rabbi Mezleman is saying has nothing to do with statistics. Yeah. It's just based on his feeling and his this feelings. idea that... And
2: Ham and, and, and has rabbinical expertise, because he's... I heard part of that speech It was full of rambams, and he knows how to learn. I know that. So I'm saying, but, you know, let's not mix. I feel better not knowing those rambams When I'm coming up with a mental health assessment, and I think I would do worse if I did know it. Frankly,
0: I I think Rabbi Meiselman has made—I wouldn't say a career. Rabbi Meiselman has has been in the from world, the Rosh Hashiva who's been willing to go out
2: beyond
0: the base medrash. He writes the book on science and how well. Going
2: out, but uh, albeit at a lay level. Let's not say that. He does not have the professional training, even though he knows how to read and his IQ is much higher than mine. I know him. He's much smarter than me. He doesn't have my training. He doesn't have Rabbi Sky's training. Let's not get
0: ourselves. It it could be, uh, gentlemen, that the IQ was his problem. In other words, when a person is so brilliant, they sort of believe that they don't need, they're like an autodidact. They can just read the literature and and, and hear the ideas and be able to be a fount of wisdom in that area without necessarily going through the the official training.
2: I'd rather hear from a trained professional who has 20 IQ points less.
1: A better yardstick uh, and a better way of thinking about what the appropriate therapist is for a particular person rather than the, um, you know, whether they're male or female. Um, Something actually that my aunt, who's a psychologist for many, many years, told me uh, once that always stuck with me. She said, when you go to a therapist, you should ask a few questions. One of those questions was, have you yourself been in therapy? And maybe we could expand it um, to, to include supervision Uh, but, uh, to me, it, it, it seems like that would be because somebody who has been in therapy themselves and is able to say that, um, is, uh, is, is, we know that they are at least working on themselves, that they're searching for uh, understanding and growth in their own life. Uh, I, I think that, um, recently I had a client actually, a very, uh, very hush of a client. And, uh, I happened to mention something that my therapist said and his eyes went wide and his mouth. Like his jaw dropped, and he said, "You have a therapist?" <laughs> I said, "Absolutely, I believe in this," and 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 I saw a change in the in the direction that the work took once he realized that this is oh this is not something like he, you know oh I'm a, I'm a I'm a terribly disturbed person so I need to be here for therapy like oh this not is not for Mister only. Right, exactly. It was a very, very important moment. So I'm wondering what, Dr. Judy, whether whether you agree that that might be actually a better yardstick about which therapy. I I
2: think it's great. But again, in terms of being afraid of this paranoid issue here of safeguards, it only works insofar as assuring us that this person is trying to do the right thing. It doesn't guarantee that they that they will not do the wrong thing because sometimes it runs away from you and then you delude yourself. So I would say constant supervision or being in therapy right now might be helpful, but even that, you know, I can't keep up with the paranoia. I don't, paranoia, or you can call it legitimate concerns. If if once you get burnt, you know, that's what happens. You're no longer paranoid. You're a realist. So, yeah, but no, I agree that sure. It's definitely, I think somebody who not been in, therapist, in therapy is not as good as a therapist somebody who is, and somebody who is not in supervision is not as effective as somebody is. There's no question.
0: Let, let me put a semicolon and a period to this conversation. The semicolon, what I'd like to, to, to say is, based on what Rabbi and, and you are, 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 are promoting, I think also helps in the power imbalance. I think Rabbi Skaist, when your client heard this, you, it was no longer that, you know, you are so much more than me, and therefore you are in a way, I have to listen to what you're saying, I am under your spell, like, and therefore, hmm, there we're both flawed, and therefore there's more of an equality, you happen to have gotten through the tunnel, and you can help me, and there's more of a sense of, because uh, I think one of the reasons why uh, the therapists have such power is because the assumption is that you are nothing compared to them and that they, that you are a broken Kaylee and they are the ones who can fix you and can take care of you. And that's why you'll submit to their sexual demands because of how much, how inside mentally they are inside of your mind and how much you need them. I think once you change that power imbalance by admitting that you yourself, without trying to become intimate with them, I think that that, that could help. Um, and here's my period to this. What I am afraid of, and, and again, it's so, like you say, Rabbi Meiselman, Rabbi Eisman, wonderfully well-meaning, sincere people, uh, who if you say, whether it's their IQ or their Habatzistaira in terms of Rabbi Meiselman, in terms of the great yeshiva that he uh, that he has, Rabbi Eisman, in terms of the incredible... Uh, uh, flowering of a great community in Passaic and uh, in, in his shul. But I think that it all, to me, I'm worried about how it, it becomes a piece of what we've been all suffering through in the last two years, which is the mistrust of, of people who have COVID, of people who, will, who think differently. And, and the idea, not so much in, in, in opening up in the forum, but rather here's another way we can distance ourselves from other people. Um, the last two years have seen a, a complete mistrust, shutting off, not engaging, whether it's the fact that you only see people in a masked way. We are dealing with a situation where we are, are suspicious of the other person, where we don't trust another family, and and, 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 and it's, either it's because they have been unsafe. So I think it's, it's all adding to this zeitgeist of of other people are the enemy. Other people are people to be scared of. Other people are people that, even if it's people that before this time we had Shabbos with, we spent, we went to their chasanas, I, I think it creates a, 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 a more, it accentuates the suspicion and fear that, that, that the whole world is really under. And I think it feeds into it. And that's what I'm a little bit worried about, is that the idea of actus in a community, it really is becoming. And you're right. Just like COVID, do you want to take the chance of this happening and perhaps infecting your zayda or you, and you might end up on a ventilator? In the same way, we are allowing ourselves to accept again, maybe even beyond the statistic. Uh, the statistics should allow complete separate separation from other families. We don't trust that family. We don't trust them. You're daven with them. You're in shul with them. They live on this block. But ultimately, we, again, that's what I think the, the message the kids are getting. And that's something which, again, I don't know if, I, I don't have any answers for that. But I think, unfortunately, that might be where we're heading with, with all this. So I want to thank both of you for for your time here on this, uh, and, and, uh, and maybe by talking about it again, <laughs> in this sort of mini therapy session, we'll be able to work things out and the people listen to it as well. Thanks again. Be well, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.